You've been listening to the weekly sermon from the Vine Church in Madison, Wisconsin, a spirit-filled family that makes disciples and plants churches among neighbors and nations through declaration and demonstration. For more information and service times, check out our website at www.thevinemadison.org. Well, good morning, Vine family. Um, For those of you who may not know me, my name is Michael McKittrick, and I moved here to Madison about four years ago, well, exactly four years ago, really, summer of 16, uh, with my wife and our kids to be part of the Vine Church as a church plant resident to really explore God's call and seeing more uh, gospel preaching churches kind of in the Madison area. And uh, we loved our time here, so we spent about three years serving here before last year being sent out, me and, and Ben Hacker as a co-pastor, to help plant Eastside Church with a, a core group from the Vine and from other places. And uh, what a year it's been. <laughs> um, not a year that we would have expected. Um, you know, our mission at Eastside Church, we talk about we exist to love Jesus, live like Jesus, and speak of Jesus in our neighborhoods and around the world so that others might do the same. And uh, thankfully, by God's grace, we've been doing those things, uh, imperfectly, but leaning in. I think we've seen people grow and loving Jesus and living like him and speaking of him, just having a heart for connecting with neighbors and um, sharing the gospel with them. We've seen two people get baptized, which we're really grateful for. We've seen some new families come that are eager for a community uh, that's close to where they live to pursue Jesus together. And so we're grateful for that. Um, we're grateful that right now I uh, got to provide a spot for us at the East Side Club, uh, outside, right on the lake, which is really beautiful to, to worship. So I'm missing being with East Side family this morning, but so grateful for just the support of the Vine Church, both your prayers for us, um, your support for us financially, and also just the support of knowing just about this mass and multiply network, just the Vine Church, Redeemer City, and us, just knowing that it, God's doing more than just something through one particular church. And that's just a really beautiful thing, encouraging thing to be a part of. It's been sweet to pray together um, as pastors and staff and wrestle with how do we handle COVID together um, and all the, the ethnic hostility that's going on. We've been wrestling with these things and encouraging one another. And that's been such a sweet support and encouragement. So again, I wish you could be here with me in person at the Vine Villains. I could give some of you hugs and handshakes and high fives. Um, it's, it's not that season. But I hope you feel even through a camera even through the internet, just the the warmth and unity and just gratefulness uh, to God for you, just the way that you've blessed my family in the years we've been here and the way you continue to be a blessing to us um, in in this season. We're just super grateful. So I'm really excited to be here this morning to be preaching to you just in this sermon series on prayer. Uh, I think it's been sweet to have other pastors, you know, preach at Eastside, and just for us to, to remember that we really are a family of churches uh, on mission together for God's glory and the good of the city of Mass and the surrounding area. Well, you know, I'm really grateful that we get to speak about prayer. It's such an important part of life. It's something that Jesus modeled. You know, in his whole life, he's constantly getting away to pray. And as the heartbeat of his ministry is dependence on the Father. Even he said he can do nothing apart from the Father. And so it's so good for us to pray. And I've just been feeling the weight of, of just life. You probably have too. Just as COVID continues, um, as more protests are up in Madison, just the, the tragic shooting of 
Jacob Blake. Uh, my wife and I, we, we met and we spent our first two year, years of marriage in Kenosha. Um, it happened a couple blocks from where we lived. And so it feels very real to us. We have friends still there. Just the brokenness of this world. You know, just been paying attention to uh, the prayer requests of Lacey Loudon and Ruby Carpenter for their dad. Just his heart attack and just him being a hospital. There they are weighty things. And so I actually want us to just stop for a minute here. And as we're going to be preaching on prayer, I want us to just start by praying. And let's just take all the things that are in our hearts and minds that are heavy and just pause for a minute and bring them to the Lord and say, God, would you help us? Would you meet with us this morning? Would you be at work in Ruby and Lacey's dad's life? Would you be at work in our city, in the city of Kenosha, and in our world for good? And so let's pause for a minute and just pray together. Well, I don't know about you, but sometimes it can feel hard to pray. Sometimes it feels like we don't know how to pray. Sometimes it feels like we struggle to even want to pray. Sometimes it feels hard to even slow our minds down with all the things that are racing to even just be with our Father. But I think if we sense any sense of need in this, that's a good starting point. In Luke 11, which is where we're going to be this morning, the disciples come to Jesus and say, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us. We need help. We don't know what to do. And that is, I think, just a beautiful starting point of prayer. Our need, our dependence, our humility. And so this morning, I, I'm preaching um, as someone who's also learning to pray. I, I hope this morning you're not going to be listening in to see what is Michael going to teach us about prayer but I hope that you will lean in like the disciples and say, Jesus, teach us to pray. And hopefully my words will just point us to Jesus' words. So let me pray that Jesus would indeed help us to pray this morning. Father, thank you that you are who you say you are. We heard in Psalm 103, you're God gracious and merciful, slow to anger, bounding in steadfast love, full of compassion. You know our, our weakness, that we're but dust. You have compassion on us. So meet with us. Teach us to pray. Holy Spirit, take your words and bring them to bear in our hearts and lives today. We pray for the city of Kenosha. We pray for the city of Madison. We pray for our world. We pray for truth and justice and grace and mercy to flourish. Father, we, we ask in your mercy, would you watch over Ruby and Lacey's dad? And regardless of what happens, would you help their family to know that you are with them, you will never leave them or forsake them. So help us this morning to lean in. Pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, let me read Luke 11, 1 through 13. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. 
Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. The one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Well, this morning, I just want us to, in looking at this chapter, see how Jesus teaches us who we are to pray to, what we are to pray for, and how we are to pray. So first, who do we pray to? You know, a question I love asking people sometimes is this. I want to ask it to you this morning. How would you describe God in one word? What's the word that first comes to mind? There's a lot of words that could come to mind that would be true and right about God. I love when Jesus begins to pray. He teaches his disciples that the name they should call God is Father. I know for me, growing up most of my life, I didn't pray, Father, I prayed, Lord, which is true. God, God is our Lord. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. But when I prayed, Lord, the vision I had of God was of a distant taskmaster, a judge waiting to strike me down if I stepped out of line. The fact is, my heart was not seeing God rightly. What does your word about God show about how you view him? I think a lot of times, I really appreciate what Paul Miller says, and he's accurate on this, our prayer problems begin with problems of how we see God. Because if God is just a distant judge, then it makes sense you wouldn't want to come to him very often. If he's just a harsh taskmaster, it makes sense that there's no warmth in your prayers If he is just a distant phone, a friend, it makes sense that for most of the time you leave the phone off the hook and only pick it up when you really, really need something. If he's sovereign and all-powerful, but you're not sure if he's good, it makes sense that maybe you don't bring your heart's desires to him. But Jesus teaches us to call God Father. And back in Luke 10, verse 22, he, he told his disciples that no one can know the Father except whom the Son chooses to reveal him to. That actually Jesus is in the business of showing us who the Father's like. So if you're not sure what God is like this morning, or it feels fuzzy, or maybe you're a little worried that maybe your view is wrong, look to Jesus. He came to show us the Father. Now, maybe some of you might be thinking, I don't know if I like that term, Father. Because the reality is the term father is probably mixed for most of us, isn't it? Some of you maybe have had great fathers growing up. 
You, you have a very positive connotation of the term father. You have lots of good memories. Some of you maybe have very negative memories. Father was distant, absent, maybe even worse, abusive. And even for those of you who had good fathers, there's probably moments, memories that were difficult. We don't have any perfect fathers. And Jesus is not oblivious to this. He knows the term father's mix. If you look at verses 11 through 13, when he talks about what father would give uh, a serpent instead of a fish or a scorpion instead of an egg, he says in verse 13, if you then who are evil know how to to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He knows that human beings, we are bent towards evil and sin on the inside. He knows there is no perfect father. He knows that the term comes loaded with our stories and our experiences, and it's not perfect. But Jesus still is using this term for a reason. He, he notices that it's wrong, but he wants us to see how much better. Did you see that? How much more How much better, how much more perfect is the Heavenly Father? If even our human fathers got it right some of the time, there's even a glimmer of goodness in human fathers. How much more in our Heavenly Father? And the proof, the proof that He's a good Father, the proof He's a perfect Father is in the gospel. It's what what we rehearse every week. I love how Paul puts in Romans 8.32, he says, He who did not spare His own Son, how will he not graciously give us all things? While we were sinners, he sent his own son to die for us. That is a good father, a father who loves us at cost. That's the kind of father that God is. And I think the reason why Jesus picks this word father is because father, whatever connotation you have with it, is inherently a relational word. It's not a transactional word. It's not a relationship of duty primarily, but it's a relationship word. It's not tasks, it's relationship. A father is related to his children. It's a relational word. And it's one that we're given through the grace of adoption. We don't have to earn this right to call God Father. It's given to us by grace through what Jesus accomplished in dying for our sins and rising again. So how do you see God? When you think about who is the God that we pray to, how do you see him? Do you see him as a good father who loves you, who's for you? Do you see him some other way? Jesus invites us, as he teaches us to pray, to say the first thing you need to know is you need to know who you're praying to. And it's a father, a loving father, a giving father. And he invites us to talk like children, to pray like children. So this morning, I want to ask too, do you even know God's father? Not everyone does. In John's gospel, we read that anyone who trusts in Jesus is given the right, the authority to be called children of God. To anyone who, born though a rebel to God, trusts in Jesus for the pardon of sin and adoption to God's family is given the right to be called children. 
So this morning, have you even trusted in Jesus? Have you looked to God to be your father? That's the first invitation this morning. See God as your father through Jesus. Well, that then shapes what we pray for. See, I think a lot of times when we think about prayer, we we tend to think primarily about it in a transactional kind of way. I think we can maybe think of it as primarily asking stuff for us. Like we come with this giant list of stuff for us and for other people and just get through the list. God, here's the things I want. Could you please give them? And that's what prayer becomes, this rote asking. Or maybe on the other hand, prayer just becomes this duty like, well, the boss wants me to do it, so I'm going to do it out of duty, and I'll ask for the things I know he's going to want, but maybe you don't bring your own desires. But if God's a father, and if prayer's talking to him, then prayer's inherently relational, and relationship means back and forth. I mean, you you don't have a good relational conversation with someone when it's all one-sided to you. There's a back and forth, and I love that as Jesus teaches us what to pray for, you see that, right? He says in verse 2, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. He says, we, because we know God is a loving Father, we actually care about him, and so we want to see his name honored. We want to see his kingdom come. We want to see God honored and loved and worshipped. We care about him because he's our loving Father. So that's part of our prayer. It's not just what we need. I I love thinking about sitting around the dinner table sometimes, and we'll talk about our days. And I love how one of my kids will regularly say, Dad, how was your day? And I love that. It warms my heart. She cares about me. She wants to know about my day, right? She loves me as her dad. In the same way, God's saying, actually, if you know me as Father, part of what you're going to pray for is you're going to pray Love for me to see my name flourish, my kingdom come. We also, because it's a relationship and it's two-way, we can bring our needs. It's not like we just come and, and, and pray and worship to God and we can't bring our own selves to prayer. But actually, Jesus teaches us in verse 3 and 4 to ask, give us our, today our daily bread. These are the physical needs we have. We can come. From the smallest things, just the bread on our table to the big things, and say, Father, you know what we need. Please help us. And we can come with all of our spiritual needs too. We we can say, God, forgive us our sins. We've messed up again today. We need your grace and forgiveness. And help us to forgive others. We, we, We need that. And lead us not into temptation. We know there's a spiritual war going on, and we need your help. Physically, spiritually. We're physical and spiritual beings. And God invites us to bring all of us. Jesus teaches us to bring all of who we are into prayer. That prayer isn't just this transaction, but actually it's a coming to our loving Father and saying, we love you and want to see you honored. And God, we're needy and we know you're the one that can meet our needs. And so we pray for both. So let me ask you, as you think about what you pray for, are your prayers maybe just dominated by one or the other? Is, is your prayer more token going through the to-do list as if God is a magic genie that would just fill that out? Or is your prayers maybe just completely fill of only the things that are quote-unquote spiritual and about God and you actually don't bring yourself and your needs and your desires and your heart and your life? Neither of those is true relational praying as children to a beloved father. 
And that's how Jesus teaches us to pray for both. And I love how Jesus doesn't give us this complicated formula, right? It's not like just say these words over and over. They're magic words. He's just teaching us the simplicity of talking like children. They're saying, Father, I love you. I want to see more of you exalted. Father, I, I love you and I'm in need. Would you help? And when we realize that prayer is just coming to them and talking as children, having this two-way street, then man, it's okay just to talk about whatever's on our minds. Like, I don't know about you, but sometimes I used to beat myself up when I'd be praying and I felt like my mind would wander. But in conversations, our conversations wander all the time, right? You're chatting with a friend and something they say reminds you of something else and you talk about it and no one goes, well, you don't care about me now. You're, you're wandering. No, we just, that's how relationship works. What if prayer was your mind wanders and you're like, all right, that's on my mind. I'm going to talk to my father about it because I know he cares about me. I want to talk to him and say, God, would you help me see how you can be honored in this situation because I love you. And what we pray for is shaped by who we're praying to. What we pray for is about relationship, loving God and knowing how much we need him and needing to be loved by him. Well, if what we pray for is this relational back and forth, seeking his good, asking for our needs, because we have a loving Father that also shapes then how we pray. And I think I would just describe it in a phrase that Jesus teaches us that the how we pray is consistent or persistent relational asking. Persistent relational asking. And I love the story Jesus tells to illustrate, right, in verses 5 through 8. He paints this picture of uh, in the first century, which uh, hospitality was a huge deal back then. It's, it's, it's a very big value. And so he paints a situation of you have a friend that comes at midnight. And you can't reject them. They come, but it turns out you have no food to feed them, which is like a cultural faux pas. I've got a friend of mine, his family's from India, and like his greatest fear at any social gathering is running out of food. So there's always like three times as much food as you need, right? Because that would be like a cultural faux pas to not be able to be a good host and provide. And so in the story, you go to another friend of yours, even though it's midnight and you knock on the door, say, lend me three loaves of bread. I need something to welcome my guest. And your friend, because it's midnight, says, leave me alone. The door's shut. I'm in bed. My kids are in bed. I had to fight to get them to sleep, maybe. I don't want them to wake up. Go away, right? And what does Jesus say in verse 8? I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his impudence or bold persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And notice it's in the context of relationship. It's not going to a stranger. It's going to a friend. But even there, he's saying it's this bold persistence in the context of relationship. That's what he's trying to illustrate. And you know who does this kind of asking really, really well? Children. Should be no surprise, right? I mean, children know, right? Children are in the car. They know what they want. They want to get out of the car. They know who has the power to get them out of the car. The parent driving. So they ask, are we there yet? Nope. Still 30 minutes to go. Two minutes later, are we there yet? Nope. We still have 28 minutes to go. Are we there yet? 25 minutes ago, right? They know what they want. They know who has it, and they will ask, right? Or they wake up in the middle of the night. Hey, I want a cup of water. And you're like, go back to bed. And they're like, no, I want a cup of water. And they are persistent. They don't have any shame. That idea of the impudence here is like no shame, bold, persistent asking. 
And Jesus isn't saying that God is, you know, disinclined to help us. That's not the point of the parable. The point he's trying to make is just come boldly without shame and ask boldly. You keep pressing in. And Jesus makes the point clear when he, when he spells out the meaning of the parable in verses 9 and 10. He says, I tell you, here's the point, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. To the one who knocks, it will be opened. What do we make of that? That's a pretty bold, audacious promise that Jesus makes. Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. What do we make of this? I think sometimes we might view this primarily as commands. Like if we just ask hard enough, if we just seek uh, diligently enough, if we just knock hard enough, then he'll open the door. As if God is waiting in heaven with all these blessings, and if we can just somehow manage to like get his attention, then he'll be like, I guess I'll give it to you. You've earned it. No, it's not at all what God is like. And some of us go the opposite. And instead of making this this bold command to pursue, we say, well, Jesus is kind of talking hyperbole here. You know, it's, it's, he's, he's encouraging us to pray, but he doesn't really mean all that what he says here. You've got to kind of take it with a grain of salt. And I wonder, actually, if that's not driven primarily by fear. That we're scared to actually trust God to come through on his promise. We're scared that actually we might ask and it might not seem to be given to us. We're scared that if we actually seek, we might come up empty. That if we knock, the door might stay persistently closed. And so we'd rather just minimize the promise that he didn't really mean all that. We start to doubt the Father's heart. We doubt that he'll really come through, so we want to qualify this promise so that there's no risk. I don't want to be disappointed, and so I won't risk really trusting. I won't knock on God's door at midnight because he's probably just going to tell me to go away, so I'll just stay home without any bread. But God desires relationship because he's our father. He wants us to come relationally, persistently. And Jesus, I think, models this so beautifully for us in the Garden of Gethsemane. How to make sense of this. Because in the Garden, he who made the plan with God before time began to come and be born in this world and suffer and die to redeem us is in the Garden the night before he's going to die and says, Father, take this cup away. Even though Jesus knows that God won't take the cup away, he asks, he seeks, he knocks. And he prays, but he also says, but Father, not my will, but your will be done. He presses in, and in Luke's gospel, we're told that his, he was praying so earnestly. It wasn't just like this one line. He was praying so earnestly that his sweat was almost like drops of blood. He is wrestling with his father in prayer. He's not staying passive. He's leaning in with all of his being, knowing that he won't get what he desires, and at the same time trusting God, but not staying far up, but pressing in. That's the way we're to pray. 
to boldly, persistently lean in and ask and seek and knock. And maybe if it doesn't seem that we get, if we don't find, if the door isn't opened, what if actually God's desire for us is to press in more? What if the problem of quote-unquote unanswered prayer is actually solved by us pressing in more? That as we, as we ask and it doesn't need to be given, we ask more. That as we seek and don't seem to find, we say, God, I, I need more. I'm going to press into you. I'm not going to distance myself relationally from you. I don't know why you're not answering the way I expect, but I know I need more of you. So I'm pressing in, God. I'm not drawing back. Because remember, if prayer isn't about transaction but about relationship, what if the greatest good of prayer isn't that we get what we wanted, but we get more of God as we press into him? And that's what he promises, right? Look at verse 13. How much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? It says, you might ask for something, you might not get what you thought you wanted, but you will always get more of me. You might be seeking and not find what you set out to find, but you will always find more of me. If you knock, the door might not be open that you thought, but the door to more of me will always be open. And that, that's the best thing we could ever have. That's what prayer is about. Not about getting our to-do list. It's about getting more of God because he is eager to give himself to us. And it's not about earning it through doing enough. It's just him saying, just press into me. It's not like you press into a good friend or your spouse or your kids relationally to get something from them. You just love them and want to be with them, so you keep spending time with them. And God's saying, that's what I want for you. I remember about a year ago, at uh, one point in the middle of the night, uh, one of my, our kids woke up having a night terror and just was crying and just wouldn't go back to sleep. And I got up to try to put her down and got back in bed and she woke up again and Heather got up the second round and I'm lying in bed thinking, I don't want to pray. Because every time I pray for my kids to fall asleep, they never do. That's what it felt like. I had enough experience of praying for kids to fall asleep and they don't that I realized that in this area of my life, my heart had grown hard and callous. God doesn't care about this. So in that moment, because I'd been thinking about Luke 11 actually recently, I just pressed in and said, God, please in your mercy, would you just help my kid to fall asleep? We're exhausted. We could use some sleep. But God, even if you don't answer the prayer the way I want, would you help me to not grow calloused? Would you help me to lean into trusting you more? Would you help me to lean into believing that you have more of yourself for us when we feel like we're at the end of our rope? And on that night, God did answer the prayer I was hoping for, and our kid fell asleep. There's lots of times where he doesn't, but he always gives more of himself. And I wonder, in this season, when we feel like the world's falling apart sometimes, do we really believe that actually one of the best things we can do is ask and seek and knock with our Father? Or as the months have gone on with COVID, and as another police shooting has happened, are our hearts kind of cold saying, God doesn't seem to care. Prayer is just wishful thinking. Let's do the real work. 
But maybe it's actually God saying, I want to invite you to more of me. Ask me. Seek. Knock. You will find more of me. Maybe he'll be at work in ways that will blow us away. He can do that as we ask him. Or maybe he'll be at work just giving us more of himself and changing us. But I can promise you this. The best thing you can do, the least waste of time, is to talk to your father. Because he loves you. He loves this world that he made, that he sent Jesus to redeem, and that he's promised us will one day be fully redeemed. His justice and righteousness will cover the earth like waters cover the sea. So let's ask. Let's seek. Let's knock. God wants us to ask to get more of himself so we might actually grow in, in seeing his heart for us, for our community, for our churches, for the world, that we might grow in actually having eyes to see how he's at work, to give thanks for him at work. I love how Paul puts in Colossians 4, devote yourself to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. As we lean into prayer and receive more of God, we'll see him at work. Actually, we'll have more opportunities to give thanks, which will fuel more desire to pray because as we receive more of him, we want to spend more time with him. Fine family, my prayer for you as I was preparing to preach this was the same I prayed for Eastside Church. The same as I'll be praying for Redeemer City when I preach there next week. That we would not view prayer as a task or a chore or a duty, but as a relational privilege. That we would know who we pray to, a loving Father who gives himself to us, who gave us his Son on the cross, who gives us the Holy Spirit to indwell us and never leave us, never forsake us, and that our hearts would be drawn to him in prayer that we drawn into seeking him more. That our need and our dependence, our crying out, teach us God to pray, would be met by God saying, I'll give you more of myself. That in our weakness, his grace would be sufficient. That we would really know him as father. That we would talk with him like a beloved child. Loving him, expressing our desire for his name to be honored, but bringing all the stuff that's in our lives the hard and the good and talking to him, just like a father, a good father loves to hear about his kids. So we just talk with our father. And we do it again and again and again and again. Not because we have to, not to earn something, but because we want to. Because in praying, we get more time with our father. And he's so good. He's so good. Let me pray for us now. Father, teach us to pray. I think of the prayer of Paul in Ephesians 3. I want to pray over the Vine Church. Father, would you strengthen our hearts in our inner being by the Holy Spirit so that Christ might dwell there through faith so that we might grasp how high and wide and long and deep is your love for us. 
Christ Jesus. And now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than we could ever ask or imagine, to him be glory forever and ever. Amen.